and welcome to episode one of the Selvage podcast. I'm Polly Leonard, the founder and editor of Selvage magazine. I've been making, thinking and writing about textiles for 40 years. The more I learn about textiles, the more I learn there is to discover. I began to weave, print and embroider at the Glasgow School of Art in the 1980s. And after publishing almost 100 issues of Selvage magazine, the time was right to launch a live event. The Selvage World Fair was conceived as a celebration of cloth, culture and creativity and intended to demonstrate the connection we all have to our cultural heritage that is manifested in cloth. The pandemic has necessitated we find new ways to present the event, one of which will be a series of podcasts to facilitate artisans to tell their own stories share their cultural heritage and demonstrate sustainability at its very best. With the global textile industry, the second largest polluter on the planet, and landfills groaning with barely worn clothing, there's no better topic for our first episode than upcycling. With its roots in the make, do and mend mentality, that, for crafters, never really went away. Upcycling has the potential to make a tremendous positive environmental and social impact. But what exactly is upcycling? Coming up in today's episode, I talk with a German designer whose latest collection is made entirely from recycled clothing. By working with those old materials, I can add my own story and build something completely new. An indigenous Guatemalan artisan. Soy de, de Santiago Atitlán. I'm from a community called Santiago Atitlan, and our designs are well known for having intricate embroidery. And an Athenian designer redefining our understanding of what a coat is. It gives the impression that it is, uh, it is alive, that it has its own temperament. So what is upcycling? Upcycling or creative reuse is a process of transforming byproducts, waste materials or unwanted textiles into new products of greater quality or aesthetic value. Recycling, on the other hand, is the process of collecting and processing materials that would otherwise be thrown away as trash and turning them into new products to give them a second life. Here's what Sophie Vent had to say about the afterlife of secondhand clothes when she wrote about it for Selvage issue 83. A child's sweatshirt lies on a dusty pile of fabrics in an antique shop in Pushkar in Rajasthan, the town famous for the cattle market. Printed across the front is the worn logo Domingo, a tobacco brand from Poland. What makes the little jumper stand out is not the fact that tobacco merchandise has been created in such a small size, or how this jumper has travelled so far from its origin but the colourful hand embroidery that embellishes the shoulders and areas of the sleeves. Vibrant chain stitches decorated with fragments of mirrors show the unique embroidery of the Rabari, a community from Gujarat known for their bright clothing. Displaced from its original context, this tiny artefact suggests something of its journey. Mass-produced, aged by wear, discarded, found and then poetically embellished for its second life, its afterlife. Thank you, Sophie. We buy more clothes than ever before. Nearly 70 pieces of clothing per person. That's more than one item a week. It's clearly a huge issue. 
How are artists and designers responding? Christine Mayer's most recent collection has been made entirely from recycled garments. In her classes, she gives her students the opportunity and skills to work with old, cherished pieces and to reimagine them as brand new garments. Speaking to me down the line from Berlin, Christine began by extolling the unique relationship she has with recycled material. It was always the fabric guiding me from the beginning on. So draping means listening deeply to the material, listening deeply um, to the shape which is already in the material and open yourself up to a, to a higher consciousness maybe and let it come through and then just let your hands feel the material and work with your intuitive mind. It can almost be more difficult to do that, I think, Christine, than to allow your intellect to guide you. Absolutely. <laughs> so we're, we're talking today about upcycling. You exclusively use existing garments in your work. Where did that idea come from? Well, during my studies um, in Hamburg, I was working as a costume designer from the beginning for a theater and opera place. And sometimes we had really very less money to do 50 or 60 costumes. Uh, so I went to the big stock of the theater and I used old costumes and rebuilt them into my new designs. So this was my first um, touch with uh, working with recycled materials. Nobody called it upcycling to this, <laughs> in this time. So is it purely economic or is your, are you attracted to the beauty of old fabrics or is it concerns about the environmental impact of fast fashion that inspires you? I think it's, it's all of them. The first, um, I really love material, this history this uh, a story and the material is always my my biggest inspiration and by working with those old materials i can add my own story and build something completely new out of it so storytelling is is uh, one big thing in my work and then of course in this uh, world of fast fashion i think it's a need to work in a conscious way I, I love that idea, Christine, of a garment being more than just uh, the cloth that it's made from. I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about uh, the military jackets that you've made and perhaps a little bit about how they connect to the history of Berlin. Yes, the military jacket I created in the 90s in Bremen, city in North Germany, where I was um, doing a costume design for um, a theater play. And um, I was working for this theater play with military jackets from the 80s for the German military jackets. And uh, I recreated them into a whole chorus uh, costume set. And then um, at an evening, I was a little bit bored from sitting on the on the rehearsals. So I went to the studio and I draped my first military jacket. Uh -huh. And on the next day, I wore the military jacket um, and I went to my favorite um, fashion store in Bremen and the owner immediately 
um, ordered seven of these jackets. <laughs> <laughs> so this was my first client. And later, when I had my um, my brand, Mayor Peace Collection, I went with this military jacket to my first fashion show. And the this jacket, it... Um, it came on the perfect moment to the perfect time to the perfect place and fit so well to Berlin and to this uh, vibrant energy of the city. Everybody wanted to have this jacket. So we had to create thousands of this military jacket. <laughs> what inspires me about particularly the military jackets, but also all of your garments, is that rather than rescuing the good cloth, and discarding the collars, the cuffs, the pockets, the button bands, etc. You highlight these reminders of the garment's previous life and celebrate that life and function by bringing these details center stage. Can you tell me about how you incorporate these details into the shape of the new garments? Perhaps describe a little about your patching process? I really love patching materials together and creating a new and own textile from something existing so that the textile I'm creating is getting really something completely new and you have no idea what it was before. And then I don't like to have any waste. So normally <laughs> I'm really taking everything from the existing garment, everything of this beautiful story it was and bring it in a completely new connection at the new material. So that means I'm creating from this um, recycled piece a new material and then I'm going to the dress form and bringing it together, bringing it in a completely new shape. And it's a graphic process, it's a, a new surface design and it's a, a transforming process of the material to something completely new. These older fabrics that you use, I particularly love the mangle cloths and the antique uh, linen flower sacks from the mid-1850s, especially the ones with the printed text on them. How do you source these rare fabrics? That's not so easy anymore as they are really getting less and less. I have a couple of antique dealers. Uh, they are finding them for me or collecting them for me. Um, a great source uh, is south of France. There you can really find still beautiful old linen materials, beautiful embroidered materials. Um, there are different brocant stores, antique stores, where you can find wonderful um, garments or, or uh, textiles. And when I'm traveling um, and teaching in, in different countries, I try always to work with textiles in this, from these areas, from these countries. We talked a little bit earlier about uh, the theatre. I wonder mm -hmm. if you could tell me a little bit about some of the productions that you've worked on. So the theatre, um, that's the place where I'm coming from. So everything started with my theatre work as a costume designer during my studies. Mm. Um, and I was working for operas, I was working for theatre plays and for ballet. And I really love this work uh, to go very deeply into a theme, into a, into a person from the play and really to, 
to find the essence of this person and then to create a garment for her or for him. I did a very cute opera at the Opera House in Berlin, the Master Singer of Nuremberg, so a big Wagner opera oh. with 400 costumes. And all the costumes were old, were um, old linen or flower sacks, old corn sacks with a lot of history. And we dyed them in different black and white um, tones, but it needs a lot of time to create <laughs> such a big opera, the costumes for, yeah, it's one or two years you're working on it. Finally, um, Christine, the pandemic has encouraged many of our listeners to reset their lifestyles and to slow down, in fact. You were ahead of the curve on this and you took a sideways step away from fashion uh, about a decade ago. Can you tell me a little bit about the teaching you've been doing and how this tr has translated so beautifully onto Zoom? After 10 years in this fashion uh, circle or fashion yeah. carousel, I was really tired and I recognized that if I go further on in this page, I will get sick. So I stepped out in 2000 and I started Into the Light. Into the Light is a platform for conscious slow fashion and for favorite fashion pieces and for um, workshops in upcycling, draping. The lockdown came. I was um, just teaching uh, one workshop in March. It was the only live workshop I did this year and they didn't come. I thought, okay, what, what shall I do? Uh -huh. I mean, and then I start to integrate them with Zoom and uh -huh. it worked wonderfully. So this gave me the, the, the idea when the lockdown came completely to change my workshops uh, to online, to Zoom. I think this virus is a big chance for everybody and for the whole world to elevate the consciousness and just to to listen, to go deep inside um, of oneself. And I think it's, it's a necessary change we are going through at the moment. I agree, Christine. I think it has brought as many opportunities as it has brought disappointments, really. Uh, and I wonder, finally, if you could just comment a little bit on how your students are empowered by doing their own upcycling. It's just, um, I'm just working like a door opener. I give them the permission to step out of the cage and to free themselves from any rules or boundaries in their heads. So I just help to connect with their intuition and to go beyond. You're listening to The Selvage Podcast with me, Polly Leonard, and today we're looking at upcycling. Our next guest is Nicolasa Pesibaran de Barreno, a member of the Patatec rug hooking group in the southwestern region of Guatemala. She is a member of the Multicolores non-profit organization that supports Mayan women in upcycling secondhand clothing into colorful hooked rugs that reference traditional Mayan design. The interesting thing about the rugs for me is that there is no outside designer. Each artist is acknowledged and the work is of their own design, which might be a bright geometric or muted floral 
or my favourite, a combination of both. Multicolores were featured in Selvage magazine issue 95. Nicolas's words are being translated by Madeleine Kreider-Carlson, creative director of Multicolores. Thank you for helping us today. So, Nicolas, can you tell me a little bit about the environment and landscape you live in? Yes, my community, Patanatik, is situated on a steep hillside high above a valley. Uh, we have a really beautiful view from our village. Uh, we can see out over Lake Atitlan to the surrounding volcanoes. And it's also a very comfortable environment uh, with fresh air. Um, we have plenty of neighbors who see the value in planting trees, taking care of trees, and that creates a really pleasant environment for us to live. How did you become involved in Multicolores? and learn the hooking technique. I learned the technique from my sister-in-law, Glendy. She belonged to and was organizing a group of women. And she told me about it. She was the one who sparked my interest in learning and she invited me to join the group. So I learned the technique from Glendy. She taught me with a lot of patient instruction. Um, and she had learned the technique through workshops directly with Multicolores. And over time, I continue to improve through attending my own series of workshops with Multicolores and working together with my group. The rugs you make are a result of a marriage between a non-Indigenous technique, that of hooked rug making, your Indigenous design vocabulary, and freely available materials. For me, it's the aesthetics of your work that make it exceptional. Before you began making rugs, did you weave or have some design training? Before I embroidered huipiles, which are uh, traditional Mayan uh, blouses, I'm from a community called Santiago Atitlan, and our huipil designs are well known for having integrate, intricate embroidery. So I had experience, yes, but with embroidery. Um, sometimes now when I'm designing a rug, for example, creating the shape of a bird, I think about how it would appear on a wipil in embroidery, uh, for example, with a background of kind of a woven geometric base, and then I apply that thinking to my rug design. Multicolores upcycles low-quality second-hand clothing from the United States and transforms it into an entirely new high-quality product. What comes first? Do you develop a design to suit the available materials or do you source colors and textures to suit your design? What I do is purchase the clothing first. Uh, I wash each garment and then while they're drying, I typically begin my design process. So once the design is drawn out on the base cloth, then I select the colors and combinations of colors that I'll use to fill in the design. And at any given time, I have a sort of library of over 50 different garments in different shades of colors that I can use to combine uh, in my designs. Can you tell me a little bit about the source of the fabrics you use in your rugs? Is it mainly ubiquitous t-shirts or do you incorporate a variety of fabrics with different textures? what works and what doesn't. Eh, nosotras conseguimos eh, las ropas 
En las pacas. We purchased the clothing from small stores called paca stores. Uh, they're called paca because they uh, the clothing arrives packed in bales, and it's a whole mix of different garments. Uh, the majority of the clothing comes from overseas, mostly the United States. And from experience, we know that there are certain garments that work well and some that don't work as well. We don't use woven shirts or wool trousers, for example, that unravel and fray when we cut them into strips. Instead, we use clothing primarily made of jersey fabric, a knit fabric, um, like t-shirts, sometimes also pants or leggings. Um, and we can use pieces that have designs or patterns or, or solid colors and mix those two. So when we teach new artists how to choose their paca garments, uh, we have them touch and stretch different options um, to feel the difference in, in the fabrics. Thank you, Nicolasa. Madeline, you have a very impressive website, artful social media, and a great book. I'm intrigued to learn how Multicolores has built a flourishing business based on upcycling. Multicolores, since its beginning, has had a multi multicultural team. Um, the founders of the organization are from Guatemala, Northern Ireland, and the United States. And that mix of perspectives has aided in the organization's ability to reach different audiences. Uh, but since the very beginning, Multicolores has thrived by focusing on amplifying the creative voices of the Maya women artists, giving them new platforms to exhibit their expressions, um, and also uplifting their own leadership capabilities in their communities, as well as reaching out with those stories to our audience around the world. Can you tell me a bit about the structure of the organization? How many artisans you work with and where are they based? Sure, Multicolores is a registered nonprofit association in Guatemala. Um, in total, there are nine groups of artists. Five groups of rug hooking artists are located in different communities throughout the Guatemalan highlands. Um, there are groups in Totonicapan, Quetzaltenango, Chichicastenango, Solola, and Panajachel. Um, and there's a total art, number of artists is 57 women across those communities. Finally, how does the Multicolores upcycling business impact your local community? We can think of the impact of Multicolores as a, a chain of work. Um, so artists purchase their paca garments at small stores in their communities, which are owned and operated by other local people. Um, and uh, the purchase of those, those garments then becomes a transformation into their finished artworks. Um, and the, the sale or, or the, the work that goes into those artworks then fuels development um, within the artists' families. Um, so the impact kind of has a, yeah, a chain of impact um, from everywhere from the small paca store where the artists purchase their, their products to the artists' families and then to their wider communities. And now back in Athens, Greece, for our final guest, Elena Tselengu, an architect and the founder of Unsung Weavers. Her company celebrates unnamed blanket weavers whose stories haven't been heard. Their relationship with the land, their animals, and the cloth they wove. Alina's work was featured in Selvage Magazine 95. Alina, welcome to the Selvage Podcast. Unsung Weavers is a relatively new venture 
and one you came to after studying architecture in London. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey from architecture to upcycling? I grew up in Athens, where unfinished buildings exist in excess, like in the, in the most simple form of concrete slabs and, and columns. So studying architecture in such an environment, you soon start asking yourself why should we still be making a new huge excavations to host brand new buildings instead of renovating and reusing all these unfinished structures. I was led to upcycling as an answer to what efficiency could mean, like, um, like working together with what you have been offered and you know, what you have at hand. At our studio in Athens, uh, together with the upcycling idea, Fabric, fabrics play an important role. Clothes can be seen as a second skin around people, something that becomes an intimate part of them. And of course, the way people are dressed affects our experience of a city. So um, fabrics in direct contact with, with your skin as a protection, selling you off, but also telling a story, uh, was very much how the idea of Unsung Weavers was born. Initially, in spite from the capes, the shifts in Greece were wearing. Uh, so, something in between a garment and a hat you can carry with you. That's a very interesting idea, seeing uh, a garment as almost architecture for the person. The blankets you work with are made from thickly felted wool, with guard hairs sitting proud of the surface. Can you describe their extraordinary texture? These blankets uh, were created, created in the Greek villages of Peloponnese some decades ago when fabric production was still a family matter. They were weaved in family-run looms, then they were soaked on the riverbeds for days and that gave them this distinctive thick felted waterproof texture. This fabric was used as bed covers in, uh, like to help them to help people go through harsh winters because of the, the waterproof textures like they were protecting them from rain like with a wooden stick they could easily transform into a tent or they would throw it on the grass and lie on it. So later on it became a, a symbol for protection that the women were giving to the married daughters like in Greek it's there's a word like it's called prika like uh, it's a form of a family heritage. Then in the years that followed, the daughters were keeping them in storage as too valuable to use, till the new generation actually forgot about them, and, and then the, this, this fabric got devalued. Your short coats have a cool, oversized cut and are wonderfully warm. But the felted wool must be challenging to work. How are they constructed? I found that each fabric needs a different handling. Some of, of the material I find is lightweight, another uh, more dense and sculpture, but difficult to cut and sew. So uh, while working with it, it gives me it, it's, it's, it gives the impression that it is uh, it is alive Do and it has its own temperament. Do you your so, jackets because the fabric is very difficult to handle and it's not possible to use a machine, or do you hand sew your jackets because uh, because that's the handmade look your trying to achieve in the finished product? To be honest, it's, it's both. Like, uh, it's also a decision like I made personally because I would rather have it like 100% handcrafted um, as a respect to the, to the material I have at hand. Uh, but also, if I would use a machine, then, then that would create a very thick um, seam because as you said it's it's a very thick wool and also it gives me it gives it has a um, I wouldn't like the stitches that would show on the outside and I wanted a very a very clean minimal 
impression. And then in the inside, you see all the handcrafted elements that give them give the coat a more, much more uh, um, interesting. Your products texture. are sold in the exclusive Dover Street market and come with a hefty price tag. Why, when they are made from upcycled material, are they more expensive than a garment made from new cloth? Well, uh, something I should highlight is how unique each finding is. Like, I uh, have never come across the same material twice. That means that each coat is very limited, as each blanket gives maximum two coats. So even if the material is upcycled, it doesn't mean it is, it is not of a great value. It is still a product of great anonymous craftsmanship and it comes with layers of history. And then as, as we said, it's 100% it's handcrafted by us. So entering the exclusivity of Dover Street, like it, it, of course it elevates the product to a, to a fashion statement and luxury item. But I, I think it overall it's great because it gives to the whole upcycling uh, idea a different outlook. Thank you again to all our guests and to you for listening to the Selvage podcast. Before we end the show, let's pause for a moment and consider two facts about upcycling. If the average life of clothing was extended by just three months, it would reduce their carbon and water footprints, as well as waste generation, by between 5 and 10%. The recycling of 2 million tonnes of clothing per year equates to taking one million cars off the roads. My guests on today's show, Alina, Nicolasa and Christine, are certainly doing their part. I encourage you to take the plunge before you sentence your old clothes to landfill and consider upcycling them. To learn more about our guests and Selvage magazine, head over to the Selvage website and don't forget to subscribe. Be the first to find out about the next episode where we discover that plastic really can be fantastic.